my testimony starts with just growing up in a Christian home, and my parents loved the Lord. They were both Christian school teachers. My dad worked in the music ministry at most of, at every church I was in most of my life, and I grew up in church. I went to a Christian school, and I even went to a Christian college, but none of that made me a Christian. When I think of my testimony, I think of about four times in my life where just milestones. Um, as a young child, I was probably around kindergarten. I asked Jesus into my life, but I don't remember what prompted me to do that, what motivated me to do that as a young child. I, I just don't remember. But fast forward a few years, and I did choose, and I made the choice to get baptized. Again, I don't remember my motivation. I know the pastors asked me questions, and I answered them all correctly. And I would have told you, yes, I love Jesus, and I'm a Christian. Fast forward to 10-year-old Jennifer, and our church showed this end times video um, about the rapture, and I was scared. I went to my mom. I was like, what do I do? And it was about using Jesus as fire insurance. I didn't want any of these bad things, these horrible, scary things to happen to me. And that's not the right motivation. I remember telling my mom, I don't feel saved. I wanted some sort of physical feeling. My mom explained to me that it's not a feeling. Uh, she also pointed me to scripture as well. So then move on to I'm, I'm 16 years old, and I'm at a point where I'm struggling with sin. And I would keep telling God, I'm sorry, please forgive me. And I would go right back to it the very next day, sometimes even the same day. And I was very frustrated. I couldn't stop. I couldn't do it myself. This went on for probably weeks, if not longer. And I got to the point where I was in my room, and I got down on my knees, and I, in my mind, visualized myself placing my sin at the cross. I could not do this. I needed Jesus to help me, and he did. He's transformed my life, and I know that Jesus is not my fire insurance. He's my Savior. My name is Jennifer Shewing, and my identity is in Christ. Amen. Whew. Yeah, we can clap for that. Amen. <laughs> Brother Fred was correct. We uh, are going to show a short testimony when our choir is coming down during that time. Today we changed it to when the ensemble was coming down because we needed time to move uh, the table and the chair and everything around. So what an incredible testimony, right? Praise the Lord that God is not our fire insurance. He's the Savior of the world. He is Lord. He is King. And there is none like Him. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Please bear with me. It is going to be very difficult to stay seated. Um, for those who, who uh, are here all the time, you know that I like to move around quite a bit. So if you see me kind of fidgeting, just know it's difficult. But many people have asked I get the stitches out tomorrow from the bottom of my foot, and then I think I'm running a marathon on Saturday. So be praying um, for me in that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, you are so good. Lord, I love what you spoke to the nation of Israel right after their disobedience at Mount Sinai. You said that your loving kindness... Forever, for generation to generation. Your mercy, your grace. 
And God, I thank you for your mercy and your grace towards us, O God. That though we were sinners, Christ died for us that we may have life. And Lord, we praise your holy name today. Lord, I pray that you'll just put me on the front row and let me just watch and hear what you are speaking this morning. God, I pray right now that the breath of the living God goes forth and we know the promise that says that the word of God will not return void. And so we hold true to that this morning. My preaching is not in persuasive words of wisdom, but it's on the demonstration of the power. It's the Holy Spirit that's going to speak this morning, the power of God. So Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we give you all glory, for it's in your name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, open up to Ezekiel 36. It's on page 1,379. Ezekiel 36. That is the chapter before the the dry bones, the valley of dry bones. Many of y'all know Ezekiel 37 very well. I want to start by just talking about the fact that you may not have ever seen this, you may not have ever experienced this, but we have this incredible medical um, procedure that they can do. It's called a heart transplant. Now, what's interesting about a heart transplant is that when somebody needs a heart transplant, there is nothing that you can do to fix the heart. They are in need of a new heart. And it requires somebody passing away for that heart to be given, for that person to be healed, for that person to receive that. This morning I'm going to talk about in Ezekiel 36 where God talks about how he would give a new heart. You know, it's interesting that this is my message today. I've been, I've been chewing on this scripture for three weeks now. Um, it's been three weeks since I was able to come up here because of my surgery and all the different things that have happened. Many of y'all were scared last week when I almost fell down the steps. Rightfully so, I was more scared than you were uh, in that moment. But as I chewed on the scripture and I, I just began to just think through it over and over, and I really want to get into verse 27, but we're going to talk 26 and 27 today. But as I chewed on this, Last night, now I, I was prepared for my message, I was prepared, I mean I've been prepared for quite some time when, when you have that amount of time when you're sitting because you can't move and walk. And last night right around 3.45 in the morning, I woke up and I literally thought I was having a heart attack. Like, I know I'm 35 years old, but I began to think my, my chest on the left side was absolutely just pounding. To the point that I woke my wife up and I said, hey, I need some baby aspirin because that's, you know, what you hear and see. And uh, with my surgery, the doctor has told me to take baby aspirin and all these different things so that I don't get clots and all that. But it was so interesting. At 345, I woke up to my heart literally pounding as if I was struggling with what I'm talking about today. The fact that we need a new heart. And at 358 this morning, a brother in Christ texted me. A scripture saying, David, I want you to know I'm holding your arms up and praying for you. Now, I don't know about y'all, but that 345 in the morning, I call that spiritual warfare. And that 358 in the morning, I call that the power of the Holy Spirit with the body of Christ. Let's dive into Ezekiel 36. And we're going to start in verse 25 and go through 27. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from your idols. 
Moreover, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. Verse 27, I will put capital M, my spirit within you, and I will cause you to walk in my statues, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. Now, when we look at this scripture, many people could say, well, David, the book of Ezekiel, wasn't that prophecy towards the nation of Israel? Absolutely. But what do we see in the book of Ephesians? In the book of Ephesians, the scripture says the mystery is great. And the mystery is, is that God also came for the Gentiles. And so we see that the promises he said to the Gentiles, hey, you had no hope in Ephesians. You, you are without hope. You were separated. But praise God, by His grace and by His mercy, He has brought two. It's one body, one spirit, one baptism. And it says that we are grafted in together. So we can hold on to this scripture in Ezekiel 36. Many people know that I love the Old Testament. I love it. For many reasons, but one of them is because we see the character of God. We see his character towards the nation of Israel. But one of the reasons that I love the Old Testament is that I feel like so often I'm just like the nation of Israel. As I shared uh, Wednesday night, going through the book of Numbers, how often is God providing provision and protection for us, but yet we're grumbling about our situation and our circumstance, as you saw in Numbers 22 through 25 on Wednesday night. So tonight, or this morning, we see the nation of Israel, God is speaking to them, and he says, I will give you a new heart. I will put my spirit within you, and it will cause you to walk in my ordinances. So there's the three points this morning. A new heart, the tabernacling of the Holy Spirit, and it will cause us to walk. Now, many of you are already putting your points on your paper Let me just tell you, some of y'all will probably be super excited about this. At the end of the service, when we're finished, the sound team is going to put on the screen all the scriptures I use today. And so you can take a picture of it, you can write it, so stay for the credits at the end, and you can get all the references to the scriptures I give today. So therefore, um, that is me saying I may go a little fast. All right. so in verse 26, he says, I will give you a new heart. So why do we need a new heart? Very simple. For those who have walked with the Lord for many years, you know this. But in Genesis chapter 1, God creates man and woman. And in verse 28, he gives kind of the calling, the commissioning upon them. And he says, God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And rule over the fish of the sea and of the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God tells them to be fruitful and multiply. Now, isn't it interesting that we see that all throughout the book of the, or, or all throughout the Old Testament? In, in Noah, after the flood, Genesis 9, hey, be fruitful and multiply. You know, they didn't, they, they, they didn't spread out and they go to build the Tower of Babel. And that's the reason why we have the whole issue there in Genesis 11. And so here we see God saying to Adam and Eve, be fruitful, multiply, and subdue. Now, we know in Genesis chapter 3, for those who have been believers for many years, we see the fall of man. Okay, In this moment, Adam and Eve decide 
that instead of letting God be the one who tells them what is right and wrong, they want autonomy from God. They take of the fruit and what takes place. Now their eyes are open. They see their nakedness and they begin to hide because of the sin has now entered. They literally cross from life to death. Now, ultimately, physical death happens because they're removed from the Garden of Eden. And in the Garden of Eden was the tree of life. And so they were removed from that. And in Genesis 3, we see the curses that take place because of the fall of man. Now, I want you to see something here. This is very important. In the midst of God coming down and walking in the cool of their day, all right? Let me just say this for a second. Some of us want to run and hide from God. Some of us don't want to deal with our sin. We want to hide that. We want to, to not address it. Just like Adam and Eve were hiding and didn't want to speak and didn't want to say anything. But then God walked in the coolness of their day. Let me tell you something. If you continue to try to hide and you continue to say, hey, I'm okay. And this fallen state, I'm good with it. And I'm okay with living in sin. There's going to be a moment in your life that God's going to come walking in the coolness of your day. And he said, Adam, where are you? Like, who's let you know? How do you know that, that, you're, that, that you're naked? Like, what's going on? Now, God already knew, but he wanted Adam to address that. And so we see in Genesis 3, in the midst of the curses, we see in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the promise of God that he has a redemptive plan that the dead heart could be made whole and new again. We see in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the hill. God is saying, hey, from this point on, isn't that just how God, His amazing mercy and grace, that at the same moment that God is coming down to explain to Adam and Eve that you have sinned and you have to be removed from the garden, He's saying, I still love you that much that I have a way. I'm going to provide a way. And God knew that it was going to cost His Son His life on the cross, that we may have life. So now we realize and we see from Genesis chapter 3 that we are all fallen. All of us are born into sin. We've talked about this. I didn't have to teach my kids how to do wrong. They naturally do wrong, right? If you, didn't have to te- if, if you had to teach your kids to do wrong, come share with me because I need to learn the trick. Like my kids naturally were born into sin. In the book of Romans, it says that through one man, sin entered to all people. So we're all born into sin. That's the reason why it's so important for for us to hold true to the fact that Jesus was born of a virgin. He was born of a virgin because he was not conceived in sin. He was not born into sin like we are. So we see here that because of the fallen state... Our identity as a dead person, we see in Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 3. And it says this in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. And you were dead in your trespasses and in your sin. It says in verse 2, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in what? The sons of disobedience. In verse 3, among them too you formerly lived in the lust of your flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. So we see right here that as dead people, those who are born into sin, all of humanity when they're born 
are children of wrath. All of humanity, when they're born, are sons of disobedience. All of humanity, when they're born, are dead spiritually. John 8.44 goes even deeper. And it tells us in John 8.44 that, that, that you do the work of your father who is the, the evil one or Satan. It says in John 8.44, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears... That's not it. 8.44, not 5.24. In John 8.44... I'll flip over my Bible. He says, and I can quote it, but, but I would paraphrase it. In 844, it says, You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks, he speaks a lie. He speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of all lies. We see in John 8, 44, that when we are born, we're born as children of wrath. We are born literally as children enslaved to Satan. In, John, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, we see what that will lead to. It says, broad is the way and, and broad is the gate that leads to to destruction. So we see that, that, that we have a sin problem. We realize that our heart is of stone, as it says in Ezekiel 36, and we need a heart transplant. For those who may be here today and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm telling you that the Scripture from Genesis 3 on has explained and showed us that, that we are fallen and that we are in need of a Savior. But praise God, John 5, 24, which was just put on the screen. It says, he who hears my words and believes, they cross over or they pass over from what? From death to life. So we see here that in the garden, Adam and Eve, they crossed over from life to death. But praise God, by the blood of the Lamb on the cross, we can have a heart transplant and we can cross over from death to life. In Ephesians chapter 2, 4 through 10, I won't read all of it, but it goes into and explains to us about our new identity. We're now children of the Most High God when you confess Christ as your Lord and Savior. In Galatians 4, 7, it tells us that we are children of God. How? By Romans 10, 9 and 10. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you shall be saved. And praise God, the next verse in Matthew 7, 14 says that narrow is the path and narrow is the gate that leads to life. So now we see this. We see that we need a heart transplant. And praise God that Jesus came, died on the cross, and took our sin on the cross. The wrath of God was satisfied if we believe and we trust in Jesus. Now... I want you to read, I want you to see Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14, because one way is broad. It's very easy to go that route. Why? Because the world doesn't want to lay down its dependency or its thinking of independency, excuse me. It doesn't want to lay it down. It doesn't want to be dependent on, on God. And God's saying that when you trust in me and you lay down your life for me and you allow me to be your Lord and Savior... That's the reason why narrow is because very few people want to go that way. 
Can I tell you that it's the greatest decision that I've ever made in my life was to trust Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior? And Paul talks about it in Acts 26 when he's standing at Caesarea by the sea and he's given his testimony. He said, man, there was a day that, that I was running against the Lord. I was putting people in prison. I was literally okay with people being killed. But then Jesus changed my life. And he says, hey, it's the best thing that ever happened to me. If you're a believer in this room, the best thing, the biggest miracle, the greatest thing that's ever taken place in your life is when God took that heart of stone out of your, out of your body and gave you a heart of flesh and put in you a new heart, transformed you from death to life. It's the greatest thing. Why do we applaud? Why do we clap when we see Jennifer's testimony up here? Because her life has been changed and God has given her a new heart. I don't know about y'all, but I celebrate that so much so that in the next weeks coming, when when the choir's going down, we're going to share testimonies of what God has done, of the hearts that have been changed. You say, David, I want to share my testimony. Come share with me afterwards. We'll get you also filmed. But here's the thing. We celebrate what has taken place because we see the heart of stone has been removed and a new heart has been put in place. Now, the second thing that we see in Ezekiel 36 is this. And I want you to, if you feel comfortable writing in your Bible, I want you to circle the fourth word. It says I, in verse 27, I will put my spirit within you. Now, I don't really know how I'm going to get through point two because I just, it's, it just, it makes me want to shout. It just blows my mind. All right, so first off, the word my spirit, a lot of the uh, commentation, the commentaries that I, I read and looked at, many of them said that you can replace the word my with Yahweh, Yahweh's spirit. Obviously, it's God's spirit, the Holy Spirit. And he says, I will place the Holy Spirit within you. Now, this is a major, major, major statement. Because this is in the Old Testament. See, when the nation of Israel left Egypt and they went to Mount Sinai, in Exodus 19, we see a covenant. And in the covenant, God says, you will be a holy nation, a holy priest, and and a kingdom of priests. And they accept the covenant. So Moses goes up onto the mountain, and when he goes up onto the mountain, from Exodus 25 to Exodus 31, God gives just very, very specific understandings of how to build the tabernacle, how to build the Holy of Holies. Now, for some of you who read through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, you're like, how fast can I get through Exodus 25 through 31? And then you get to Leviticus and you say, how much faster can I get through that? But this is really important, and here's why. God took all these chapters to give them the instructions of the tabernacle because holy God cannot dwell with unholy people. So he said, I want to dwell with you. Now that is just incredible that the creator God of the universe is wanting and willing to dwell with the nation of Israel. And he says, so that you don't die... Follow these instructions in building the tabernacle. So he gives them these very structured, very specific understanding. Now, in the book of Leviticus, 
we see the, the, the ritual ways of, of cleanliness. We see the Levitical way of cleanliness. We see how to be clean so that holy God may dwell with unholy people, sinful people. And if they disobeyed or walked against that, what would take place? Death. Death. If, if, you, don't, if you don't agree with that, you can go back to King David when he was bringing the, the Ark of the Covenant back. He disobeyed the book of Exodus and death happened. A man reached out, touched it, and fell over dead. So God is saying, hey, I'm going to dwell with my people. Look at Exodus chapter 25, verse 8. We'll put it on the screen. You don't have to flip there. But in Exodus 25, verse 8, it says this. It says, let them construct a sanctuary for me that I may dwell among them. So here, the nation of Israel, they, they follow through, they build the sanctuary, they build the, the tent of meetings, the tabernacle, and they allow the Holy Spirit, God, comes down and dwells, the Shekinah of glory dwells, and as the cloud is there, they know that He is there, they follow that in the wilderness. It's incredible. But now God's saying in Ezekiel 36, hey, I'm going to go further than all that. Like, it's not going to be me just dwelling in a sanctuary, I'm going to dwell in individual people and they are going to be my sanctuary see in acts chapter 2 we see pentecost powerful just incredible the holy spirit comes down as flaming tongues and all of a sudden for the first time people are indwelled by the holy spirit and we see what takes place in paul's life or peter's life excuse me and peter gets up and he gives this incredible just uh one of the first messages that we see from the church and he speaks and he cries out it's just incredible and what God begins to say is that by the blood of Jesus not only not only will you have a new heart but God is going to take residence inside of you now let's stop for a second if that doesn't excite but also give you fear then you have missed what I just said God, the creator God of the universe, for those who believe and trust in him as their Lord and Savior, says, I'm going to dwell within. I'm going to tabernacle with my people. So we have the creator God of the universe through the Holy Spirit dwelling within you and I. Now, you may want to think about what you're doing with your life. Because everywhere you go and everything you say, the Holy Spirit's right there with you. Let's look at 1 Corinthians. I love this. In 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17, it says this. Um, and I'm also going to go 1 Corinthians 6 as well. But in 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and, 16 and 17, it says, I'm in 2 Corinthians. That would be incorrect. I'm going to get there. My Bible is big. There we go. It says, do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Now, the word temple there in verse 16 also means sanctuary. So let's just talk about that for just a second. You know, oftentimes, and I've already kind of walked down this with you, that this is not the church. This is the church house, the building. We are... The church, right? 
But let me go a step further. This room is not necessarily the sanctuary. We are. We are. I've been in churches, or I've been at church houses before, a building where the people want to spend all this money on all these different things to make the room so beautiful because they call it the sanctuary. Now, do I think it's wrong to make this place look nice? No, I think we need this place. I think it needs to look nice. But let me tell you something. What we need to work on is the sanctuary. Us. Us. We're the sanctuary. See, when we all come into this place, it becomes the sanctuary because we're all here. But when we leave, guess where the sanctuary goes? With us. That's the reason why I say all the time, you can't take prayer. You can't take God out of schools. You're going to have to tell every believer not to come to school. Every single believer. Now, you can Okay, I, 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 I need to revise that. If you take every believer out of schools, you can take God out of school. But praise God, he's moving and you can't stop the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so they're not going to take Jesus out of schools. Why? Because we are the sanctuary. It says in verse 16, verse 17, it says, And if any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. Now, can I just can I take this just a, a little bit further for a second? If the nation of Israel had to follow the rules and regulations so that they would not die before holy God, is it not amazing that when we fall short of the glory of God that we don't fall over dead instantly? See, the Holy, the Holy Spirit is dwelling within us. So why wouldn't we fall over dead instantly? Well, Hebrews 10 tells us about it. In Hebrews 10, verse 10, it tells us. In Hebrews 10, 10, it says this. It says, by this will we have been, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sin, for what? All time. Set down at the right hand of God, waiting from the time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Listen, it's the blood of the Lamb, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, is so powerful that it can give you a heart transplant. But it's even more than that, that it, can, it cleanses us for all time. That even when we walk in sin, we don't die having the Holy Spirit within us. But let me just say this. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about that in just a second. That's how powerful the blood of the Lamb is. Is that by one sacrifice, once and for all, it was done. And now because of Jesus and Jesus on the cross, the Holy Spirit, the creator God of the universe, through the Holy Spirit dwells within us. I don't know about y'all, but I get really, really excited about that. So go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It says this in verse 19 and 20. You'll see it on the screens, but it says... Or do you not know that your body is a temple? Or I can go on and say sanctuary. 
of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that is not your own. For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Whoa. So we see here, not only do we have a heart transplant, not only does salvation come and cross over from death to life, but we also see that through the power of the Holy Spirit that he comes and dwells within us, and so now our body is a sanctuary for God. The Holy Spirit is dwelling within us. So let me ask you this. How do you live your life? Do you live your life as if you're walking sanctuary filled with the Holy Spirit? When I said that it makes me excited because I'm just blown away that God loves me that much that not only did he transform my life from death to life, but that he is going to tabernacle, dwell within me, it also brings about fear of God. Because everything I do and say and everywhere I go, the Holy Spirit is with me. Every place I go. Listen, I've shared over and over, the nation, America, needs the fear of God to be restored to this nation. And let me say this, believers need the fear of God to be restored to them, knowing that they are the sanctuary and that the Holy Spirit is literally dwelling within them. I think that if believers across this nation would realize that they are the tabernacle, that the Holy Spirit's dwelling within them, I think that we would see revival break forth across this nation. I think the way that believers live their life would no longer be lukewarm anymore because they realize that holy God is within them. We see this powerful, powerful statement. We also, let me ask you this, how do you treat your body? How do you treat your body? As I say that, I remind you of this statement that I've been in many church houses that spend more money and more time on the, on the interior of a building than they do on the training and the discipline of the actual sanctuary, which is our body. And some of you may be saying, well, David, are you talking about physical exercise? Are you talking about... Listen, 1 Timothy tells us in chapter 4, it says that that physical exercise is good, but he's talking about spiritual discipline. So the third thing that we see, the first thing we see is that we have a heart transplant. The second thing that we see is that the Holy Spirit literally dwells within us. For those in this room, let me just say it one more time, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ in this room, you have the Holy Spirit, the presence of the living God, who the nation of Israel, if they were walking in sin and and went into a place they weren't supposed to, or all these things would die. But praise God, through the blood of the Lamb, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. We are God's sanctuary. We are God's temple. And I will never take that for granted. The more I think about it, my mind is just overwhelmed. Overwhelmed. So we see that we have a heart transplant, that we're in need of a heart transplant. Let me just say this. You've got to cry out to God. 
everybody that has been born is in need of a heart transplant. And God has made a way for every person who was born to have that heart transplant. But it says, for those who ever will call upon the name of the Lord. If you do not call upon the name of the Lord, it says that you're rejecting that sacrifice that was paid in your place. I love what Brother Fred said not too long ago. It may have been two weeks ago where he said, God is not sending people to hell. They are rejecting the sacrifice that was paid. And for you to walk into hell, you have to overstep the cross. But the third thing we see here, and this is powerful, this is big. Hopefully I can get done with this in time. It says, I will put my spirit within you. And then it says this, put, uh, put, put Ezekiel 36 verse 27 up on the screen for me. Because I want you to see it. It says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues. And cause you to walk in my statues. There it is. It's coming up. And cause you to walk in my statues. Does it say that you cause yourself to walk in your statues? Does it say on your power and your strength that you walk in God's statues? No, it says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk. So what we see here is, and the third point today is this, is that God, we walk in the spirit. God puts the Holy Spirit within us and it's the power of the Holy Spirit that allows us And gives us the power and the strength that we need to live a life of godliness. Listen, all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, God's saying, Be holy as I am holy. Be holy as I am holy. Be holy as I am holy. And then he didn't just say that without giving us a way for us to be holy. In the Old Testament, it's by the rules, regulations of the book of Leviticus and the book of Exodus. In the New Testament, it's by the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us, that He's given us the power to live a holy life. So before I go into point three, let me just say this to the body of Christ. We have no excuse. We have no excuse. Look at first, Second Peter. In Second Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, it says this. There it is. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Let's just stop there for just a second. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, God has given us everything that we need to live a godly, holy life. Everything we need. It continues on. It says, through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. In verse 4, for by these He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises. What was one of His promises? Jesus said, Hey, I'm going to go away, but who's coming? The Helper. Who's the Helper? The Holy Spirit. What does it say in Acts 1.8? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. 
So what we see here is that God is saying that through the power of the Holy Spirit, by me fulfilling my promise to you, you have everything that you need to live a godly and a holy life. So I've changed my prayer life. My prayer life used to say, God, I need more strength. God, I need more of this. I need more of that. I need more of this. And God has showed me, David, you have everything you need. What you need to pray is that your eyes will be on me, the author and the perfecter of your faith. So now my prayer is, God, keep my eyes. Give me, I just, I have, I got to keep my eyes on you, oh God, in all things. Because when I keep my eyes on you, I can walk on water as you see Peter. But when we take our eyes off of the king, we run to the flesh. So let's look at this for a second. We see here, we see here in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, we see that we have been given everything through the power of the Holy Spirit for a life of godliness, for life and godliness. We also see in Galatians chapter 5, many of you know this as the uh, fruit of the Spirit, and we're not going to go into the fruit of the Spirit, but I want you to see in Galatians chapter 5, we see in verse 16 and in verse 25, it says, if you live by the Spirit, then walk by the Spirit. Let me read it to you. In Galatians 5, Verse 16, it says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out what? The desires of the flesh. Then it tells you what the flesh is, the the deeds of the flesh, and then it tells you what the fruit of the Spirit is. And then in verse 25, it says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. So two things I want you to see about the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, and we could talk about many things, about how we're sealed by the Spirit, how we have an inheritance of the Spirit. We could talk to many, how the Word of God, uh, the Holy Spirit speaks to us through the Word of God, that we need the Spirit of God to, to show us that. Many things, but there's two things I want you to see today about the Holy Spirit. Number one is that He's empowered us to obey the Word of God. He has empowered us to obey the Word of God. Now, you may say, David, so if I am filled by the Spirit, and the Spirit is the one who has to do it in me, do I just sit still and say, okay, Spirit, do it? The answer to that is yes and no. Yes, we must yield to the Holy Spirit, but we must deny our flesh. We must deny our flesh. Look at what it says in Romans 8, 12 and 13. It says this, So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. And then it says this, But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Verse 13. So here's the thing. We have a transfer, we have a new heart, the Holy Spirit's dwelling within us, and by the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, we're called, we're called to deny our flesh and yield to the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me just go just slightly, slightly deeper. I think that we can sum that up in John 3.30. Many of you know John 3.30 by heart. John the Baptist says, he must increase And I must decrease. There's two parts to that equation. One, I must allow God to increase in my life. So how do we allow God to increase more in our life by the power of the Holy Spirit? 
Y'all remember the scripture or the, the, the sermon that I preached on the word Shema? And Shema means listen and obey, right? It was two commands within one word, the Shema. So how do we increase in Christ? I believe by Shemaing, by listening and obeying the word. That's how God continues to increase in our life, by being in the Word of God and following the Word of God. By the power of the Holy Spirit, He continues to increase in our life. But the other part of that equation is he must, we must decrease. So how do we decrease? We continue to deny the flesh. We continue to crucify the flesh daily as it says in the scripture. We continue to say no to the flesh in our life that rises up. You say, how do we do that? By the power of the Holy Spirit who has given us eyes to see. You know, in the scripture it says that before Christ, your eyes were blind and you were blinded to the fact that Satan had you in captivity. But praise God that he's removed the blinders from your eyes and you're able to see And we trust in Him and the Holy Spirit dwells within us. And by being able to see and our eyes being open, we're able to live a life by denying the flesh that now we can see. I tell people all the time that that my salvation journey is like this. At the moment that I got saved, God opened my eyes and I saw a light all the way down at the end and I started walking towards the light. But the closer I got to the light, the more the light illuminated how much wretchedness there was on me. And every step I take closer to the light, I see more and more of my filthiness, more and more of my wretchedness, more and more of my sin. And so I'm slowly pulling piece by piece off of me. That's why I I love Psalms 139. Search me, O God, and show me and, and know me. Show me anything in my life. That's against you, O God. So we see that God has given us the power to live a godly life by increasing in Him and decreasing ourselves by denying our flesh daily. I love what Brother Ed said a few years back. He said, David, I know that I have a new heart because who I am today, I never could have done on my own power, ever. And that is that as we continue to wash the word over us, it shows us more and more of our flesh. And so the Holy Spirit gives us the power to remove and to pull that off. And we claim victory in the name of Jesus. You know, the book of James tells us that you're blessed when, when you stand firm in the midst of the temptation and trials. So as the Holy Spirit is pulling off these, the, the, the self and the, the wretchedness and we continue forward for the kingdom of God and we're walking that narrow path and going through the narrow gate, we're blessed even when a temptation comes our way because we stand firm. Because we stand firm. So we see that God, one, the Holy Spirit has given us all that we need to live a life of godliness. But then I want to go back to Acts 1.8 and I want, to, I want to close with this. The Holy Spirit has given us what we need to go forth for the kingdom of God. Listen, our, I tell people all the time, they're like, David, i got to figure out what my purpose, what my calling is in life. I don't know if it's this job or that job or this job. And I tell them all the time, man, it's not about a job. Your calling in life, your purpose in life is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ to the nations. I pray to God that we would be so different than the culture 
that we would choose a job based on where we're going to get the best opportunity to share the gospel. Now let me say this, God will lead us to where we're going to, to serve here or there, and God has placed people all over, and sometimes we don't even realize where we, in different places, we don't see the intentionality in the moment that God has given us people to share the gospel with, but I pray that we will look more biblical-minded and say, God, I don't want just a job that's going to give me a whole bunch of money, I want the job that you're sending me to that I can use as an avenue for the gospel of Jesus Christ every day. That's pretty radical. That's pretty radical. But he's given us everything we need to live a a life of godliness. But but in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 it says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. Now, Now here's the thing. God is not, God's telling them that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you've got the power to go take the, the gospel of reconciliation to the world. So now all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit is dwelling within us. And let me tell you something, because of the Holy Spirit dwelling within each of you as believers in Christ today, you have the power to share the gospel of reconciliation to the world. You say, David, I'm fearful. I don't know if I know what to say. Well, hold up. I just told you, you have the creator God of the universe tabernacling within your heart. Ask him, say, God, speak through me. There was times where Jesus even said, you're going to go before all these people and you're not going to know what to say, but praise God, I will put the words, the Holy Spirit will put the words in your mouth. Look at the difference between Peter from pre-Pentecost to after Pentecost. Denying Christ three times? Oh, I would never do that. Never do that, God. The rooster crows. Jesus says, go and tell the disciples and Peter that I am risen. The power of the Holy Spirit falls on Peter, and man, he stands up in front of all those people, and he says, you may think we're drunk, but let me tell you what it is. 3,000 people come to faith that day. Listen, when we share the gospel, it's not about you and I. It's about the kingdom of God and the Holy Spirit that resides within the sanctuary, which is you. Look at what it says in 1 Thessalonians 4.8. I love this. Man, I hold on to this scripture. It says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 8, So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. He's saying in that, he's saying, hey, he, those who reject the law, those who reject all of this, I want you to understand, it's not about you. It's not about you, David. You know, you, you can say, hey, well, well David, there was... Ten people here today that didn't know Christ as their Lord and Savior, and they didn't come down, and they didn't give their life to Christ. And man, you need to, David, you need to work a little bit better on how you speak this and how you speak that. Man, the scripture tells me that I I can't change the hearts of people. I don't do the transplants. I don't change that. It's the Holy Spirit who is living in me. And every person that's in this room today who's not a believer in Christ, you have to answer before holy God for your life, not me. You have to answer. But to the believers, you have to answer before Holy God with what you did with the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells within you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, it says, We are your ambassadors. We are Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making an appeal through us. 
We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. God is making an appeal through us. See, in twofold. One, through the tongue that's being spoken by the word, the breath of God that's going forth. But two, because your life's been changed, not on your own accord, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so it's a one-two punch. They're seeing the transformation in your life by the Holy Spirit, and they're hearing the breath, the words of the Holy Spirit coming forth from your mouth. It's all about the Holy Spirit who does the work. And let me leave you with one more scripture. It says in the book of Matthew, it says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Let me just just stop there for a second. The harvest, there is a lot of people out there who don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. But then listen to what what Jesus says. Beseech the Lord of the harvest. It's not my harvest. It's God's harvest. When people come down front on Sunday morning crying out to God for salvation, that's not my harvest. That's God's harvest. He says, beseech the Lord of the harvest that he may send workers into, not my harvest, into his harvest. Body of, of, of Christ, I'm going to close with these few things. We have a sin problem, but praise God, by the blood of the Lamb, He gives us a heart transplant. If you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior today, you're going to have to answer someday before Holy God. And I pray that you would answer before Him today by humbling yourself before God and asking Him to save your life. But to the believers in this room, you're the sanctuary of God. The Holy Spirit is literally dwelling within you, and I pray that that does put fear on us, not an unhealthy fear of, of, woe is me and all this. No, the fear of the living God that we would serve Him and not man. Galatians says that we can't serve both man and God. You can't be a man pleaser and please God, that we would serve God, the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. And that today, that you would realize that you have the power that is needed to live a life of godliness, and you have the strength that is needed for you to share the gospel with every person you come in contact with. Don't let the Father of all lies speak into your ear and say you can't do it. You never could. But the Holy Spirit who's tabernacling within you, can and will through you.